Welcome back to the Full Desk Experience podcast. I'm Courtney Harmon with Curlate. In part one of our chat with Chris Thomas, we explored the latest changes to the I-9 forms and the implications and regulations that accompany it. Today, we're diving into the insightful audience AMA portion of our discussion. This was on fire and honestly had endless questions around this topic. Chris answered your burning questions about what this means for your talent business and best practices for proper execution. If you missed part one, be sure to go back and listen before joining us on this AMA segment. As always, if you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, let's jump straight into the AMA with Chris. Hi, I'm Courtney Harmon, Staffing and Recruiting Industry Principal at Crelate. Over the past decade, I've trained thousands of frontline recruiters and have worked with hundreds of business owners and executives to help their firms and agencies grow. This is the Full Desk Experience, where we will be talking about growth blockers across your people, processes, and technologies. Katie? I see questions still building as Chris keeps talking. So I think it's your turn to jump in and ask some of these questions to Chris. Yes. So I have at least one person who would like to come on stage. Veronica, I see that you just asked the question. Can you please just write in the chat if you would like to come on stage also? I'll drop a link for that. I'm going to start in order. So give me a second to scroll up because as predicted, the chat has blown up. Our first question comes in from Todd, and Todd was wondering if while they're showing their, on this video chat option, while they're showing their IDs and social security cards, is recording the video allowed? Good question. As long as you tell people in advance, this session is going to be recorded. Do you have any problems with that? And the person says no, then go ahead and proceed. There are statutes out there that forbid surprise recordings in some contexts, but uh, as long as you clarify that we are recording this session and are you okay with that, then no problem at all. I like the idea, actually. It's a nice way to prove that you were, in fact, in compliance. You did everything right. Is there any storage, like, options of that? Like, do they have to put that recording in a certain place with (laughs) having secret information, like PII information? Certainly, we're worried about all of the privacy-related issues in all of this. So please ensure that if you're doing any type of recording, that you're doing it in a way where everything is encrypted and properly saved in perhaps an HRIS location like Workday or something along those lines. Great. Sergey asked, for existing temps, do we rerun E-Verify? So for existing temps, that's a real good question and actually opens up a complicated analysis as to who's a continuing employee and who isn't. As a general principle, the safest approach to take with temp labor is, or seasonal labor, maybe is the way we'll phrase it, is uh, that you just complete a new I-9 every time you onboard somebody as a new hire. And when you do that, you're allowed to run them through E-Verified too. But some employers out there say, well, that gets complicated for us. We prefer to keep, treat them as continuing employees. And then there's a much more advanced analysis, probably beyond the scope of this discussion about who qualifies as continuing and who doesn't. You kind of answered Christy's question earlier about how authorized reps are selected. She jokingly said, does it have to be a notary or could it be the new hire's mother? Hypothetically, it could be the new hire's mother, right? Is that how yeah. we're understanding it? 
The guidance oh. says any person. So it does not have to be a notary. Perfect. Sergey meant to clarify that he means for temps on assignment now. So if they're actual employees doing work right now. Okay. So the general principle is that if somebody's been a continuing employee for this entire time and you ran them through E-Verify, say, during COVID under the temporary rule, you would not run them through E-Verify a second time. That is an important thing to remember. In fact, uh, just to build on that just a little bit farther, Homeland Security runs E-Verify. And in that same office suite, they have two sub-agency suites in the same place. They have Immigration and Customs Enforcement, who comes after us when we fall a little bit short, and they have Immigrant and Employee Rights at DOJ, who comes after us if we go too far. And if they were to see somebody being processed to re-verify multiple times, they're going to walk down the hall and say, ABC companies running these people down, running these people to re-verify on multiple occasions. Would you like to take a look at N? The response would be, well, yes, we will go take a look at ABC company. Sergey says, great, so new I-9 needed and no E-Verify or no new I-9 needed at all? <laughs> I think we need to get, get Sergey on the chat so we can ask him some additional questions about these step workers. <laughs> Sergey, would you like to come on? Sergey, so if you want to hop on, I'll wait and see if he joins us here. I'm going to move on. So Lori asked, Lori, hold on. Oh, well, you kind of answered this. Are you required to save the video conference or just the screenshots of the IDs or whatever it is? And then you talked about needing to save that in other places. Yeah, just to reinforce that, we're not required to record or retain uh, that recording. All we have to do is have a copy front and back of the documents that were presented. Thank you. Christy asked... For compliance with E-Verify, users remotely verifying documents, what is considered hiring sites? We are 100% remote with no physical office and hire in multiple states. Do we need to list every state as a hiring site? Oh, that's a messy one that uh, would probably require a pretty deep dive into your whole system. But what we would normally tell you is certainly you want to list hiring sites in the 10 states that require E-Verify. So let's start with that so that you can say that you're in compliance in those states. And then with the other ones, often you could get away with just having one primary site. So wherever your headquarters happens to be, that's going to be the location that does the hiring. And they could be responsible for doing all the virtual I-9s and the verify processes out of that primary location too. Carmen says, do we need to change all our I-9 previously filled out or is, does this only apply to new hires? So there are two parts to that question. First of all, if you've been physically reviewing everybody every step of the way, just completing your I-9s in the correct format that was under previous law, you would not have to do any additional changes to those I-9s. You met with people physically, you reviewed the documents physically, you're good. The only situation where changes would be required to the prior I-9s would be between the March 2020 through July, yesterday, 2023, in which uh, you had process people virtually. That was a temporary rule that expired yesterday. And so now within the next 30 days, you would need to do updates in the additional information box in section two, where you would just say alternative procedure. If you decide to do it virtually, put your name in that box and date and initial, and we would have an, an appropriate update. So long way of saying it depends on which approach you took. Perfect. Okay, I've got Barbara again. Barbara, I'm going to try to pull you back up on stage and see if you can hear us better. She's back. I'm back. Did I understand you to say that now they're going to go back to virtually 
doing it because I was understanding that they were no longer going to do the virtual since it's post-COVID. Right. So the virtual rule that was available still under COVID expired yesterday, but a new regulation two weeks ago has been introduced. And so now going forward, we can do virtual reviews going forward. And so you can do those virtual reviews on two ways, either with new hires, or you can do them also when you're doing section two updates, when companies are trying to get up to speed or update their I-9s that were completed during the COVID era. Right. And so, and for myself, I would like to know, instead of having to go through the third party N3 notary, I would like to do that myself on my own. So what are the qualifications? I think I heard you say that I would have to be e-verified or have that system in place. So it's the employer that would have that e-verify account. The employer ends right. up coming in and doing their memorandum of understanding and setting everything up. And then as the I-9 is completed, you are the person who's serving as the authorized representative who's helping with the completion of the I-9. And then it's probably going to be the employer, though, that's going to have that memorandum of understanding. They'll run the E-Verify query after you properly complete the I-9. Understood. So I would have to reach out to the employer to get set up as their authorized representative. Anybody can become the authorized representative. It says any person, notary or not. If you want to market yourself as somebody who does that, great. And then doing the E-Verify process would probably be completed on the side of the employer. They would take care of that in their human resources department. Katie, the chat just keeps going. Oh my gosh, I know. Good news, we still have 16 minutes left. Veronica has asked, we recently conducted an HR audit and found some tenured employees over 20 years have original I-9 documents missing from our files. Should we follow a similar process as the COVID era hires I-9 updates for these missing I-9 files? Yeah, so great question. In that situation, of course, we're missing the I-9s. That's a problem. That would be a substantive error, uh, findable by up to $2,700 per defective I-9 or missing I-9. So it's certainly something you want to remediate. Now, you're still completing it late because you can't find the prior I-9. And so that's a problem in its own right. But it's certainly better to have some I-9, even if it's late completed, than no I-9 at all. And so at this point, you have one of the three options, right? You can either, number one, meet with those people and just do an in-person I-9 completion to have a newly completed I-9. You could do the authorized representative approach using somebody like Barbara, as we just discussed with her. Or you could do the virtual I-9 approach that is now available if you're enrolled in E-Verify, have been through the appropriate training that E-Verify offers, and then you're having them show you the front and back as they show you their documentation on screen, and you keep copies of those documents front and back, then you'd be in compliance, even though it'd be a late completed I-9, better than no I-9, for sure. Perfect. Quick follow-up to that. Um, Veronica also asked, uh, for the corrected I-9s for employees hired in the COVID era with the virtual review, do they use the old I-9 forms or the new I-9 form for any adjustments? Ah, very good question. Thank you, Veronica. We hadn't hit that yet. And so the answer is, is that you can use the old Form I-9 for any updates all the way from August 1 today through the terrifying day of October 31st. And so you're free to use the old I-9 if you want to during that time period. You may, however, also start to use the new I-9 that has just been released, and you can use that effective today and must use it starting November 1st. 
Great question. You keep saying terrifying and horrifying. So I definitely am going to have to get the music cued. <laughs> what does that mean? What else could I do? <laughs> right? Just, just like really, yeah. I love it. Cindy is asking, why is a client, I think this has to do with who is the employment of record, but I'll let you answer, Chris. Why is a client company doing I-9 checks when it is the responsibility of the staffing agency? Oh, well, that's an interesting question. And certainly something that you want to be careful about in any context. Um, If you're using temp workers uh, through a staffing agency, then that staffing agency should have a very clear responsibility under your contract with them that they're responsible for all things under the Immigration Reform and Control Act. So they should be doing I-9s. Hopefully you're asking that they do E-Verify also, but the I-9 is up to the staffing agency, certainly not up to you. The whole world of enforcement is shifting right now, and we're watching it unfold nationwide where companies that rely very heavily on staffing agencies are finding themselves in situations where the investigations clarify that there appears to be a joint or co-employment arrangement between the staffing agency and the primary employer. And so not only must we ensure that we're doing our own I-9s well, but when we're using staffing agencies, we need to ensure that they are following a good procedure too these days. Thank you. Kind of circling back up to earlier when we were speaking about continuing employment and what qualifies, Gabriel was wondering if a temp only works once every year or two years, can they be considered a continuing employee? Well, the definition is that they need to have a reasonable expectation of continuing employment. Sounds like if it's somebody who comes in for a month once every two years or something, that doesn't really feel like a reasonable expectation of continuing employment. And maybe um, the better approach is just to have the placement agency be responsible for the whole part of that process anyway. It sounds like that's kind of a staffing agency question again, and they would be responsible. Perfect. We utilize Workday, but have some employees who started before we implemented Workday, and there's no I-9 section on them in Workday, but they have the employees who started after Workday do have an I-9 section. So will they be able to amend some I-9 via inside of Workday, but how should they verify those who started before? That was very convoluted. Before we implemented Workday. So basically, I believe the question is, let me reiterate, is they have all this employees pre-Workday, they have employees post-Workday. How do they update those pre-Workdays to verify? Yeah, now we're just to the general framework of I-9 compliance uh, outside of the new alternative procedure regulation that we were talking about earlier. And the guidance is is that you can have a variety of storage methods. So say that pre-workday you completed all paper I-9s. The approach would be that you would either keep those paper I-9s in their paper format and store them separately, or you could follow the proper migration process through your vendor workday in this case. And then after Post-workday, it sounds like everybody had electronically completed I-9s, and those are just stored in the system already. And so, again, you can have both systems, or you can decide to consolidate everything by going through the migration process. That migration process costs a lot. A lot of employers opt against it. So a lot just have the two storage systems, paper and electronic. Thanks, Chris. Sergey restated his question, so hopefully to come up with a a better answer for him. For existing employees who are still working, having started during COVID with the remote documents verified and e-verified completed, do we add to their existing I-9 or fill out a new I-9 dated August 1st? Okay. 
you're adding to the existing I-9. You're going into the additional information section. So it probably said COVID date and had the initials or maybe the name in the additional information box in section two previously. Now you would update those I-9s, either physically or using this alternative procedure. Let's assume you're gonna use the alternative procedure, but either way you have to do an update for people who were processed virtually during COVID. Uh, you need to go in, you could say alternative procedure if you're using this electronic approach now. And then you would put your full name and date in the additional information. So it'd be another update in the additional information box in section two. This is Danita. She says, hi, Chris. I appreciate all the info. You mentioned some companies mix or use all three different I-9 procedures and ways to verify. Can you give an example of that? Yes. Uh, so we've got situations, for example, where uh, some companies have all of their employees who work at the factory or at the office, whatever bricks and mortar location you have, they just do them in person and complete their I-9s as they meet with them in person on their first day of employment. Meanwhile, those same companies have, say, a marketing team that's purely remote. And so they process all of them virtually using the process we've talked about, this alternative procedure. And then there are some situations where um, because people have technology issues, but they're still working remotely in that situation, we would just have them use the authorized representative approach. So they would visit their local notary like Barbara, and that person would help them complete the update to Section 2 or, or a complete Section 2 if it's a new hire. To clarify, virtual, this is by video only and not just a photo? Employees can't send a picture of their IDs? Correct. The guidance is very clear that you must have a live video interaction with the individual. So on that person's first day of employment, say you're having that live video interaction like this, where that person's showing you the documentation. Maybe they're holding up the passport to the side of their face saying, see, same person kind of a thing, because you have to substantiate identity first and then employment eligibility by looking at the documentation to make sure it's authentic and so on. Perfect. Thank you, Chris. And then our last question is coming in from Tara, and it's a good one. I thought I-9s only had to be on file for three years once hired. Is that true? That is not true, Tara. <laughs> so let me walk you through it. And the way to do it is just to simplify the analysis for you. So for all current employees, you should have an I-9 on file, unless you have one of those rare few who were hired before November of 1986 when the law went into effect. But let's all current employees hired after that date should have an I-9 on file. Now, once you terminate somebody, there's a retention window that kicks in. So it's three years from the date of hire or one year from the date of termination, whichever of those two dates is later. So suppose that you hire me today and I'm a train wreck and you fire me today too. Well, one year from the date of termination only takes us to 2024. But three years from the date of hire takes us to 2026. And so that's the later of the two dates. You're going to hang on to it until August 1, 2026 in that context. On the other hand, if you hired me in 1990 and you fire me today, well, 1993 would have been three years from the date of hire. One year from the date of termination takes us to August 1, 2024. So that's how long you hang on to the I-9. So you got to follow that retention window. But yeah. If somebody's an active employee, you still have a 99 on file for that person. Thank you, Chris. And then one final question, guys, and then I'm going to wrap it. Sergey is asking, 
Must we keep a photocopy on file? Let me answer that on two levels. First of all, if you're not using this alternative procedure, you are not required to keep those copies on file, okay? I will add that it is a best practice to keep those copies on file. That is a best practice because it shows good faith when Homeland Security comes to investigate. They like you much better when you've kept copies. It also helps your outside legal counsel get you into compliance if you're worried about compliance breakdowns because we can't do much if we can't see copies of the documents that are being presented. It also, by the way, forgives a multitude of sins. If you keep copies and you didn't enter the right issuing authority, for example, then that could be a finable offense if you didn't keep the copy. But if you did, it's a technical error that could be corrected. Now, with the alternative procedure, this new virtual approach, you must keep copies front and back of each document presented that is required as part of the compliance measure in this new regulation. Chris, how do you obtain copies under the remote virtual? Is it the screenshot? Do they take a picture on their phone and like text it to you? Like, What's the best way? Yeah, so we're seeing the screenshot approach. We're also seeing companies that are offering a link now where people can just upload their documentation into the system that way. I am much less comfortable about emailing copies of my documents to the employer after that live interaction because I think you got some real potential privacy breakdowns in that context. So screenshots probably the best approach if they don't have a way to upload it on your end as the employee. Okay. And I love Danita. She's so funny. She goes, last question, I promise. If staffing agencies are using a third-party company for their clients for payroll and verification, is that okay? Would they be the employer of record that needs to do the I-9 or how would that work? A long way of saying it depends. Uh, You know, you've got so many different arrangements out there with the PEOs, the staffing agencies and so on. And it really depends on how the contract has been crafted, who has the responsibility. And when I go through I-9 audits and investigations, ICE asks for that. They say, we want to see the contract. Who is responsible for the I-9? Excellent. Thank you, Chris, so much. I am officially cutting off. Tara, you're going to have to email us or email Chris. And Chris, can you let all the kind people know how they can um, inquire about your services further if they have additional questions? Sure. I would love to hear from you. Happy to help you with this wild and crazy area. So the first approach would be that you could call me, of course, and you can call me at 303-913-9228. Or you can email me. And my email is Chris. C-H-R-I-S dot Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, at Ogletree, O-G-L-E-T-R-E-E dot com. Chris dot Thomas at Ogletree dot com. Perfect. Thank you, Chris. I'm going to go ahead and send that in through the comment section, too. And then if y'all are listening listening to this on the podcast, um, I'll include links to Chris's company in our podcast descriptions, too. So if you're listening, look there. And yes, Barbara, we will also provide the link for the new I-9 verification regulations. I am going to cut us off. We are at time. I'm hopping off. I'll let you guys wrap up. Chris, thank you so much. This was such a great and awesome just conversation today, especially with the Q&A. So thank you. Thank you. So good to be here. Chris, as anticipated, Q&A was off the charts. Thank you so much for answering questions. And thank you so much for joining us for the second time around. Hopefully there's no future changes. I'd love to have you back on. But, you know, these changes make everyone a little crazy. So thank you for joining us. So good to be here. Thank you very much. Absolutely. As we wrap up this episode of the Full Desk Experience, I want to extend a sincere thank you, obviously, to Chris for providing us with invaluable insights to these changes. 
understanding these nuances and the updates is crucial for all professionals in the staffing and recruiting industry and more. And Chris has certainly shed some light on some various aspects that help us navigate this evolving landscape. So if you're looking for additional services around this topic, obviously we're going to link that information, Chris's information in the show notes. You know, today we began by exploring the updates, uh, delving into potential consequences and implications for those who fail to comply. And also, Chris talked about those hidden pitfalls that we need to pay attention to as employers that we should be mindful of during this implementation phase. So for our listeners' benefit, Chris provided some valuable insight and tips on how to mitigate risks, noncompliance, and address whether specific industries or businesses might be particularly affected. Before we sign off, I want to thank all of you, our dedicated listeners, for tuning in to today's episode, asking those questions. And we hope this has been enlightening and empowering for your careers. So thank you again for joining us. And if you have any further questions that we didn't get to today, or you think of anything, you can email Chris, or you can email Katie and I at fulldesk at Crelate.com. I'm Courtney Harmon with Crelate. Thanks so much for joining us, listening on the podcast, and join us for future episodes. Have a great day. I'm Courtney Harmon with Crelate. Thanks for joining the Full Desk Experience. Please feel free to submit any questions for next session to fulldesk at crelate.com or ask us live next session. If you enjoyed our show, be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and sign up to attend future events that happen once a month.